Okay, we're back in the book of Judges tonight. And remember what I told you when we came to the narrative on Gideon, what were we going to do? We were going to skip it. And if you'll remember why, because about two months ago when we were still doing Wednesday nights, me doing Wednesday nights video only, uh, one night I did Gideon. Before I decided I was going to go through the book, I've already done Gideon. And so you can go on the church website and where it says click here for recent messages, you click there and scroll down through there and come to the, it was a Wednesday night and I did Judges uh, 6, 7, and 8 on Gideon. Okay? So I'm not going to repeat that tonight. But I do encourage you to go back and uh, catch up with that if you've not seen it. Tonight we're going to look at subject matter, sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And if you're apt to take notes, that's going to be our points tonight too. Just two points. Sowing and reaping. About as easy as it gets, right? So find Judges chapter 9. Judges chapter 9. And we're going to uh, go ahead and read the whole chapter now. It says, Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, now who was Jerubel? Anybody remember him? Gideon. That's another name for Gideon. Yes. So Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives. You need to underscore that. His mother's relatives. And said to them and the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jerubel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal, Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, Come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? 
Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. <coughs> now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you've dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you've risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he's your relative. If then you've acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jerubbaal might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Abed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. 
God spoke again, again and said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land. And one company is coming from direction of the uh, diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? <coughs> are not these people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aramah, and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told, he took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El-Berith. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Salmon. He and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder, and he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned to the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing. God returned, I should say, returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. You know, there's a story that comes from earlier days in our country, days when the Lord's Day was still considered sacred and holy. And most people went to church. Well, there was a, a farmer. He was an unbeliever, and he was always making fun of Christians. He wrote a letter to the local paper, and in the letter he said, On Sunday, I plowed my field. On Sunday, I planted my crop. 
On Sunday, I cultivated. On Sunday, I harvested. And on Sunday, I sold it. I had the best crop ever and got the most amount of money for it. Here it is, the third week in October, and I'm getting along quite well, thank you. What do you Christians think of that? Well, the next issue of the paper came out with the response. Dear infidel farmer, there's something you have forgotten. God doesn't always settle accounts by the third week in October. <laughs> Today we're going to look at the sordid tale of a man by the name of Abimelech. Now, folks, this is probably one of the most tragic stories we'll read about in the book of Judges. Abimelech was a very ambitious man. He was the type of man who had no self-control, no control over his spirit. He was the type of man that would stop at nothing to get what he wanted. You know, anytime you run into somebody like that, you better watch out, right? Because the people around him are probably going to suffer. And he ended up suffering. And he became the enemy to many. And they suffered too. Well, folks, today's message is a perfect illustration, I think, of Galatians 6. Where the Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, this shall he also reap. Abimelech sows to the flesh and he reaps a harvest of corruption. Let Abimelech be a lesson to everyone today that there's a God in heaven and he sees everything and nobody gets away with anything. Now, when you read Judges chapter 9, it's sort of like the book of Esther. Now, what do I mean by that? God is not mentioned even one time in this chapter. Just like He's not mentioned in the book of Esther. But nonetheless, God is all, all over this chapter. He's all in it. Just like He's in the book of Esther. Same here. You don't see God's name showing up, but He's everywhere. He sees everything, He knows everything, and He judges and repays. You know, the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We reap what we sow. And that's why I've entitled tonight, Sowing and Reaping. First thing, as I mentioned to you a moment ago, if you're taking notes, we're going to simply look at sowing in the first 21 verses. What we see in this, this first 21 verses is unbridled ambition. We read that Abimelech was the son of Jerubael, and again, that's another name for Gideon. Uh, you know, in the previous chapters of Judges, we see how God called Gideon and Gideon didn't think very much of himself, did he? He was a lowly person from a lowly clan, from a lowly family. And yet God did extraordinary things through Gideon. 
And remember what God did? God thinned his army down to how many men? Just 300 men. And who did they defeat? The Midianites. Now, what a testimony Gideon's life is of what God can do through a man surrendered to him. The people said to Gideon, if you'll recall that story, we want you to be king over us. And Gideon said, I will not be your king. God is your king. But then Gideon did a foolish thing. He had all the people throw in their earrings from the spoil of the battle with the Midianites. The Midianites were Ishmaelites, and they wore lots of earrings and had lots of piercings. I think I've seen some Midianites wandering around the Concord today. <laughs> Well, Gideon made an ephod with all this jewelry, and that ephod became a stumbling block to Israel. They worshipped it. What else did Gideon do? He had many wives. And not only many wives, but he had a concubine. And so again, you see how God uses very imperfect men sometimes to accomplish his purposes. Well, Gideon has a son by the name of Abimelech. Abimelech means my father is king. It kind of makes you wonder, while Gideon said he would not be king, did he turn around and then live like a king? You know, a lot of times we don't do what we say, do we? Makes me think of a businessman who was well known for his corruption and his ruthlessness. He announced to Mark Twain, the writer, he announced to Mark Twain on one occasion, before I die, I'm going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and I'm going to climb, I'm going to climb Mount Sinai, and when I get to the top of Mount Sinai, I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. And Mark Twain said, why don't you just stay in Boston and keep the Ten Commandments? <laughs> So did Gideon end up living like a king when he said he wouldn't be one? Anyway, look at what Abimelech does. He, he comes out with a very ambitious scheme. He goes to his mother's relatives. He goes to his mother's relatives. Remember, his mother was who? One of Gideon's many wives? No. His mother was... Gideon's concubine. He goes to her family and he makes his case that it would be better off for him to be king over them instead of the other 69 sons of Gideon. Or if all 70 of them, him included, wanted to rule, it'd be better if they would just make him king. Now, to their ears, his argument sounded logical. 69 kings or 70 kings, boy, that'd be a mess to deal with, wouldn't it? Well, in, in appealing to his mother's relatives, he pulls them into his shenanigans and his logic. And, and he says, after all, I'm your bone and flesh. In English, we'd say flesh and bone. 
or flesh and blood. In Hebrew, they'd say bone and flesh. And so he's stroking them. He's, he's kind of fishing. He's, he's reeling them in. He's trying to appeal to them. After all, he wants, he wants them to think life will certainly be better off for them if they have somebody from their own family who's in charge. It's not difficult to see how Abimelech was successful in winning them over. And disappointingly, nobody in the narrative stops and asks the question, what does God want? What's God's will? That's like us today. Who really cares what God wants? What I want is to know what is best for me. That's sort of the theme of today, right? Who cares what God wants? Unfortunately, that's the opinion of many people. Well, the Bible says then he goes off and does something else here. What does he do? He hires some worthless and reckless fellows. This is quite a, a band of brothers and not so good of a sense. This was a group of men you, you wouldn't want to run into on a dark alley. Worthless men, reckless men. You know, you're also known by the kind of company you keep too, right? And this is the kind of company Abimelech is keeping. Then what do they do? They go to Gideon's house and one by one, on a single stone, they kill 69 of Abimelech's half-brothers. Imagine that, killing 69 men. They're serial killers. They're brutal. They have no value for, for life whatsoever. And this is his half-brothers. And, and, you know, to, to get the money to do all this, I, I, I skipped over the verse. The, the, the people who were willing to make Abimelech king, and then he goes out and gets these, these worthless and reckless men. Look what they do. They pay him. They pay Abimelech out of the temple of Baal. Here's the Israelites. Remember the book of Joshua? I've been reminding you of that. Joshua ends and the people are saying, we're not going to follow the gods of the Canaanites. We'll be true to God. Here they are following Baal. And now they're going into the temple of Baal to get money to pay Abimelech and these men to go off and do whatever they're going to do so Abimelech can be king. Folks, you talk about raw ambition and corruption. Here you have it. Sort of like reading about American politics. <laughs> Abimelech is a corrupt man. He's an evil man. He is a bloodthirsty man. He will stop at nothing to have his way. There's nothing wrong with ambition if it's ambition in the right way, if we're ambitious for God's glory. Maybe the problem is too oftentimes we're not ambitious enough for God's glory. 
But here was a man ambitious for himself. He was self-willed. He was a dangerous man. You meet somebody like an Abimelech, and it's a dangerous person. Because you get in their way, and they'll stop at nothing to run over you. To make matters worse, in verse 6, they carry out this whole ceremony after the murders and the coronation of Abimelech as their king. They, they carry it out at a sacred spot in Israel's history, the Oak of the Pillar at Shechem. This is probably the Oak of Moray where the Lord appeared to Abraham and promised to give Abraham and his descendants the land. It's also one of the places where Joshua had led the people to make a tremendous reaffirmation of their faith to the Lord. So it's a sacred spot in Israel's history, and they have a ceremony like this at a sacred spot. You know, today, we do all sorts of things at sacred spots, don't we? Weddings, coronations of different sorts, political things, celebrations, maybe at a church or a chapel or public square, and maybe there's prayer that's said. And nothing wrong with any of that if our heart's right. But if hearts are not right, you can go to a sacred spot all day long and it doesn't mean anything. That's kind of like what Jeremiah was trying to tell the people in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 7 in the famous temple sermon, right? God told him to go and stand at the gate of the temple and say, you know, you say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We are delivered to do all these things. But God says to you, repent. You've made His temple nothing more than a den of robbers. They were trusting in the temple to no avail. And yet, going to the temple, having their ceremonies, but just didn't mean anything. That's how it must have been with Abimelech and these men. You'll notice from verses 7 down to verse 21, there's only one who challenges all of this, Jotham. And Jotham stands atop of Mount Gerizim. You remember anything about Gerizim? Mount Gerizim. Kathy, you remember? The blessing and the curses. The blessings and the curses at the end of the book of Joshua. Where, you know, on one side, they were, they were, because it, it made like a natural amphitheater. And on one side, they would call out the blessings if they obeyed God, the other side, the cursings if they disobeyed God. So Jotham stands atop Mount Gerizim and uh, he tells a fable. A fable or a parable. It's probably better categorized as a fable. It's a powerful story that he tells. He tells a story of trees gathered together. And they want the olive tree. The trees want the olive tree to rule over them. The olive tree is known for what? It's fruit, the olive, and the olive oil. And it refuses. Why should I leave my good crop, my fruit, the oil I produce? Why should I leave all this to go and rule over you? 
I'm, I'm busy doing something valuable and productive here. I don't have time for that. And so next they go to the fig tree with its delicious uh, sweet fruit. It responds the same way as the olive tree. Then they go to the vine with its grapes that wine comes from. It refuses on the same grounds. Then what are they left going to? The bramble. What was the bramble? Basically just a worthless old desert bush. The bramble didn't really have any kind of value at all. It, it provided virtually no shade, no protection, and it could be dangerous because the bramble could, could catch fire easily in the desert sun and then burn up everything around it. So it was, it was worthless as far as doing anything valuable, and it could be dangerous. What's, what's Jotham doing? He's telling the people in choosing Abimelech, this is basically what you've done. Of all the people you could have chosen, of all the people who could have led you, you've got the bramble bush, essentially. And he's going to be worthless to you. He's not going to do anything helpful or valuable to you. And, and in the long run, he's going to end up being very dangerous to you. But Jotham's saying, this is who you've picked. Verses 16 to 21, he gives what turns out to be a very prophetic word here. A very prophetic word. And I'll just summarize that by verse 20. Let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. In other words, he's telling them, this partnership that y'all have entered into, this covenant you've entered into with Abimelech, it's not going to have a good ending. You've made your choice, but it's not going to be good. Well, let's, let's look at how this turned out. Let's talk about the reaping, verses 22 to 57. Abimelech reigns for three years and look at verse 23. It says that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of the people. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew can be interpreted that God, God put ill will between them all. God, God put opposition between Abimelech and the people. God sent a spirit to them that they would be opposed to one another, Abimelech and the people, and the people in Abimelech. You know, God can bring peace and love and joy between people, or God can bring conflict and ill will between people. In this case, he brought ill will and conflict and opposition. This was divine retribution. This is God's judgment. This is God's vengeance. They've slaughtered 69 of Gideon's sons and they've wiped out a family. Here's God taking vengeance. 
Folks, God holds us accountable. God holds us accountable. God knows what's right and just and holy. And God knows what's evil. God is more than capable of setting the record straight. And that's why the Bible in the New Testament tells us as Christians, our enemies and all don't take vengeance belongs to God. We don't have to worry about it. God's going to settle accounts. Now the rest of chapter 9, as we read it tonight, you'll see that that it's one episode right after another of enemies who rose up against Abimelech as well as hard feelings between various peoples of the land and there's conflict after conflict after conflict. They trouble Abimelech and Abimelech troubles them and Abimelech and his armies kill many of them. But again, the chapter, the last half of the chapter, is a story of conflict after conflict, trouble after trouble. They are reaping the harvest that they've sown. They're paying the consequences for their choice for Obimelech to rule over them. In verses 46 to 49, one group of the opposition against Abimelech, what do they do? They hold up in a tower. What's he do? He, he traps them in the tower. He brings wood in, has everybody ready to bring wood in, and he, while they're in the tower, locked in, he piles the wood up around and burns it down with them and it kills a thousand. Verse 50 to 57, the same scenario is played out in another city. The people hold up inside a tower. Abimelech goes to start a fire at the base of the tower. And just as he's getting ready to start a fire, what happens? A woman drops an upper millstone. Have you ever seen millstones? The, the millstones from Israel in biblical times? The the base millstone, the bottom millstone, she couldn't have lifted. A couple men couldn't lift properly. The top one's still heavy and big, but with great effort, it's something you could lift. And these millstones would have grooves that they they carved in the stones, and the way they turned the way they get the donkeys off to turn the mill, they, they pour the grain in the top where, the, where a hole had been drilled out in the millstones. Well, in the upper millstone. And then, like I say, there's grooves cut out in the bottom of the upper millstone. It's sitting, <coughs> it's sitting on the bottom foundational millstone, and it has grooves cut in the top. So groove meets groove, and as the grain's poured in and the donkey pulls the upper millstone around, it's, it's grinding the grain, and the grain is, is coming out these grooves. She takes one of those, and I guess struggles and walks over to the window of the tower, sees him down there and drops it. It, it must have glanced off his head enough to crush his skull, but had a millstone hit him solid out of a tower wind, he'd been dead on the spot. 
So he demands his, his armor boy to kill him quickly in macho pride. He doesn't want it said of him that a woman killed him. And so Abimelech, again, think of vengeance. Abimelech killed 69 half-brothers on a what? A stone. And now what kills Abimelech? A stone. Again, what's Galatians 6 say? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also now, a couple things I want, a couple more things I want to call your attention to. First of all, remember Joseph in the book of Genesis. What did he end up saying to his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. God can take all the circumstances of a believer's life, even bad things, and God can bring good out of it. The flip side of that, though, is true too, right? And that's the second thing I want you to say. If you're sowing to the flesh, the Bible says from the flesh you will reap what? Corruption. Corruption. God can take all things in a believer's life and use them for good. Or an unbeliever living in wickedness, or even a believer who's turned against God. God can take the things of your life and use them for evil as judgment against you or as chastisement against you. Folks, human life is not chance. We don't say, well, I guess it was just a coincidence. I guess it was just fate. No. Christians believe in a sovereign God. God directs the affairs of men and women. We see God directing the affairs of what happens here. You don't always see the harvest immediately. Somebody wicked, Abimelech, thinks he's getting away with everything. Hey, life's going good for him at one point through this chapter, right? He's got all these armies. He's killing people. Things are going good. But little does he know, the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. Folks, there's a harvest coming someday. The Bible says we are all, even if God, if, if you don't see the harvest in your lifetime, guess what? We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, yes, for the believer, our sins are covered, past, present, and future. But that does not mean that there's not that we won't ever see consequences for sin in our lives or have to give an account of that sin. There's consequences. There's a harvest. And we need to live our lives knowing there's a harvest coming. You might see it in your life tomorrow, 10 years from now, 
25 years, 50 years from now, if you're a young person, you might see that harvest, good or bad. But you're going to see it. If you're a believer, before the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to have to give an account. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, of everything that you've done. Nobody gets away with anything. Chapter 9 of Judges doesn't just speak to us, it shouts to us that sowing to the flesh is not worth it. Living our lives for ourselves, for our own self-will and selfish ambition, it's not worth it. It might seem like it's the way to go at the moment. It's not. The self-centered life instead of a God-centered life will eventually catch up with us. And you know, just like with the Bimelech, you know, we know God's, God's not evil. God is holy. But God can cause things to work out in somebody's life that it just seems like the whole world is against them. And then in other places in the Bible, we see with godly people like a Joseph or a Daniel, what does the Bible continually say about why they were able to do what they were able to do? Because the good hand of my God was on me. And God was showing His favor to me. Sowing to the flesh, sowing to the Spirit. If you're sowing to the flesh, you will not reap a good harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. Think of farmers. They don't, they don't plant their crop today, put the seed in the ground today, and then as soon as they get done putting the seed in, they turn around and collect the harvest. No. You reap later. It takes time. And oftentimes you reap more than you sow, right? A farmer plants his seed and gets a, a bunch of crop from that one seed. Again, keep, keep Galatians 6 in mind. Whatsoever a man sows, this shall he also reap. There are people, probably people that you know, who've refused to come to Christ. Gambling with their soul. Gambling with eternity. And thinking there won't be consequences. They're ignoring God, sowing to the flesh, thinking that everything's going to work out fine for eternity. They're like the people at an art exhibit in 1982. In 1982, the ABC Evening News reported on a very unusual work of so-called modern art. It was a chair with a shotgun fastened to it. The gun was loaded, and the trigger had been specially rigged with the mechanism so that the gun would fire at random sometime during the next 100 years. 
It, it might fire a minute from now, or it may be a hundred years from now, or any time in between. Art viewers were actually invited to sit in the chair, stare down the barrel of the gun for one minute, in the hopes that the moment they were sitting in the chair and looking down the barrel would not be the moment the timer went off and the gun fired. Unbelievably, they said there were long lines stretching down the road, people in line to sit in the chair and stare down the gun barrel. How foolish. And yet there are people ignoring God, sowing to the flesh, and gambling just the same that everything's going to be okay. How much more foolish is that? How foolish of Abimelech to think he could do what he did get all the support that he got, live in the ungodliness that he was living in, in the wickedness, and everything was going to be okay. It happened just as Jotham predicted in the fable. He was a bramble that would not give protection to the people, and in the long run, he'd be very dangerous to them. Very dangerous to himself. And there was a reckoning day. God had the final say. Anything I missed that maybe you picked up on in the chapter? God, it's kind of like you talk about the farmer and he sows and he gets a bumper crop. Well, I can't help but thinking of the verse that says, when you sow the wind, you can reap the whirlwind. I think that's a meteorological version of you can get some really super bad stuff when you sow to the flesh or sow to just evil, whatever you want to call it. And oh, the consequences. And like you said, the ignorant people who are gambling with their souls have no clue how awful it's going to turn out if they have to be in front of the gun when it goes off. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question. Okay. Was Abimelech an Israelite? Or was he, I mean, God used all the nations sure. around sure. to punish them, sure. or to chastise them, rather, mm -hmm. to discipline them. Mm -hmm. But here we have Abimelech. Was he, um, I mean, and Gideon was an Israelite. Sure. And his, his bloodline would have been traced through Gideon. So he was in the church. Right. So the enemy is not always out there. That's right. Good point. Very good no. point. So, very good point. Think about. It is. Very much so. Yeah. We have met the enemy and he is us. He is us. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God that in Christ, for those who are in Christ, you know, there's, there's a payday 
coming someday. But the believer's sins have been paid for on the cross. The, the price or the payment for our sin has been made and it's complete. Jesus said it is finished. There's no fear of loss of salvation for the believer. That's the good news of the gospel. Because there is coming that judgment day for everybody. Again, Christians, as 2 Corinthians 5.10 points out, Christians don't escape judgment. But the judgment for our sin has been taken care of in Christ. Amen. Now, will we still have to give an account? Yes, Scripture says that. And there's rewards. And some people, as he says to the Corinthians too, some people, their lives like wood, hay, and stubble, but they're saved, but as through fire. Others, their life is gold, silver, precious stones. And it stands up to the judgment. But there is judgment. There is judgment. But the gospel means that in Christ, my salvation is not in jeopardy. Amen? Amen.